Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another Poison Pen podcast. My name is Patrick. I am your science fan, science fiction and fantasy selector here at the store. And I am really excited because after a two-year hiatus, uh, we get to talk with Sam Sykes for his third book, Three Axes to Fall, the mm-hmm. last in, in this latest trilogy that he's been writing. Um, I'm sorry to see uh, Sal's last book for a while, Sam. I've got to tell you, I've grown super attached to your characters, and uh, but congratulations on book three. Thank you. Um, and me too. I got, I got very attached to these characters. Um, and it kind of, it's kind of painful because I've been getting steadily more attached to them. And I, I'm, I, I'm one of these artsy fartsy types that believes that, uh, writing is, can be a very mystical touchy-feely process Mm -hmm. so like I don't know a lot about the characters I'm writing when I start writing them yeah I just I sort of just start usually with a concept or a name and then they end up surprising me and so by the end of this book I was like very surprised by what every character ended up needing or wanting Mm -hmm. and then at the end I was like I was like oh like I kind of wish I had more books to ask more questions of these people exactly but you know we were talking about Elden Ring right before we got by right before we got on and I'm also kind of enamored of the idea of like not explaining a lot of what's a lot of what they're still going through like that kind of sounds fun to me well you know to be honest uh it's sort of a mixed bag right because we have writers like um david eddings god Mm. rest his soul that you know continued on after the first belgarian where i felt like the characters stories were pretty much retold uh told and he sort of retold the first five books in that second series yeah lorian so you know can you can you keep uh story ideas fresh and and not become enamored with, uh, you know, kind of plot points or rehashing things characters have already done. I I think the ticket there is to be more in love with the characters than you are in love with the setting. Uh, like I'll I'll just reiterate, like I'm a I'm a believer that like the audience will tell you what they want. So if David Eddings just retold the Belgariad and people still bought it, it's like, well, people still like the Belgariad. Hey, I, I bought it and I've I've reread both series I don't oh, know yeah. how many times because I love those characters. Like they're people like I I never shame anyone for what they like. I like to know why they like things. And you know, like some settings. And I think my, you know, to be just a little hubristic, because it is my interview. uh, Exactly. Like some settings, and my setting is one of them, have that potential to be revisited and seen through different lenses. But I think, I think people are more forgiving of, of revisiting the same series when they get to see it from someone else's point of view. Exactly. So like we've we've done a lot with Sal's point of view throughout this, and like I love I loved it, but I think like then if I did more, I would want to explore a different character's perspective, mm-hmm. or maybe just Sal's perspective on it from some other point in her life. Like I've had a few people ask if I'm ever going to do like a prequel series for Sal's time as Red Cloud, because we got a little more hint of what life was like for mages in this book before everyone went vagrant. Exactly. And I think that could be a lot of fun. I I think it would be too. Would it be hard to, because Sal does really grow as a character throughout the entire series. I mean, she's 
a living, breathing person by the time, you know, book one is done. You've really fleshed her out as a character. And she just gets more and more complex as, as books two and three come through. Um, so for you, do you think it would be hard to go back to that point of view of, you know, Sal not knowing what she knows now by the end of book three? Hmm. It depends. Cause like, I think a big part of this story is that is that you never know or unknow things or don't know things. You just sort of see them from different perspectives. Like this last book is features some pretty heavy perspective changes from characters with pretty solid perspectives. So I kind of like the idea that a prequel for Sal would be more just from what she sees uh how she sees a war that she's essentially the star of you know like and it might be very different because she the same thing kind of happens in this one where she inadvertently becomes the center of a huge conflict exactly but the idea of her enjoying that at a different point in her life like i kind of think back to like the very early 2000s and you know like because I, I I know 2020 is still too fresh to talk about for a lot of people but like journey back in time with me to another thing that used to be too fresh in time to exactly about, which was 9-11 and right. in the aftermath of 9-11 we had like ultra patriotic movements like everyone was like supporting the troops clapping applauding is like finally we're doing something and like, there were plenty of people saying like, actually, we should think more about what we're doing, but you know, no one listened to them for <laughs> true, for, you know, for many reasons. And we have enough distance now that we can kind of look at that. So, but like, you know, it's, it might be interesting to write about a society or a setting that like is a little more in love with aggression and war like that. Cause like, true. we've kind of lived that and it's a little, it's a little strange to look at in the rearview mirror, you know? It really is. Um, yeah, and your society really does love war. I mean, in terms yeah. of, I mean, war is the central conflict, especially by the end of book two, you've really pretty much confirmed that war has started and it, it was an inevitability due to, yeah. to, due to a variety of manipulations by a variety of villains who are, fantastic by the way you really oh, do a great job creating some really wonderful villains in your books but i also like your books because you are not afraid to make your characters gray they may be doing the right thing but they're not necessarily good yeah and sal is not a good person sal like is pretty open about the fact that she's not a good person and she's aware of it and she constantly says she wants to be better but acknowledges it that it's way harder than it seems because right. like it is fucking hard to be a good person apologies for the profanity i know we're oh, all we can swear in this one yeah but like uh it's hard it's hard to be what you need mm -hmm. what other people need what the world needs and what the situation needs all at the same time yeah because like you know it's easy enough to to be like you know this person's a good person because they do x it's like all right but what if they have a need that makes them do y like that's that's kind of always the limit of people talking about like oh these people well, hang on, let me try to rethink this. It's like, it's fine to want to be better, but the reality is like much more conflicted, especially when you're used to not being a good person, you know? Like the very concept of trying is a little tough, like improving yourself and learning stuff and facing hard truths about yourself. That's, that's tough, you know? That's why not everyone pulls it off. I, I always I always go back to characters like Xena who are more interesting because of the fact that she, you know, if you ever watched the old school Xena and Hercules, yeah. it's always more interesting because she was a conflicted character. She was somebody who is not good in her earlier life, is now trying to do good, but often slips 
uh, yes. in terms of that. And so she's more interesting to watch. Yes. I would say more interesting to write as well, because oh, I'm sure. when you have characters that are more morally ambiguous, you can kind of take the idea of, okay, in this situation, what would Sal do? Like, yeah. she could do the good thing, or she can she can go a little hardcore. Well, I mean, it's a good i I have watched a shit ton of Xena. Like, I watched yeah. every season for ages. Uh, I was way into be I was way into fantasy, which like mm-hmm. nowadays everyone has like, oh, I'll, I have like a million Marvel movies to watch and a billion right. Star Wars movies to watch, or and I can watch Lord of the Rings, but like. Back in the late '90s, we didn't really have that. Like, no, we had we, we had Xena and Highlander, right? We had Xena, we had Highlander, we had like a handful of other less popular shows, mm-hmm. but uh, we didn't really have like these vast, sprawling cinematic affairs. And wow. so, a lot of people who liked fantasy in the '90s ended up watching a lot of Xena, Warrior Princess, which I did as well, and like. I'm only now kind of understanding how much it seeped into my writing because like <laughs> your subconscious. A yeah. Bit. Like I've just, I've, like, I'll just be editing something and I'll look and I'm like, wow, why do I do that a lot? And then I'll just think about that. Oh, right. Cause I really liked seeing that once on a Xena episode. Exactly. And, um, and you know, the, the cutting edge uh, special effects in Xena. Oh yeah. Come back now. Oh, they're they're Oh yeah, back in the day when like you didn't have CGI monsters, you had to have some guy in like this big rubber suit and like or or you did get the CGI monster that was just a bunch of polygons. Yeah. Oh, those were good. Uh, the low res like, polygons. The early, yeah, where it's like geometric and blocky and like you're exactly. you're just It's kind of like how in we all learn about like ancient theater mm-hmm. where they just had like the stage hands up there just moving stuff around exactly and you're like how did like how did anyone watch this without being totally distracted by this and then you look at these polygons and remember back in the day you were just kind of you were just kind of supposed to to just sort of accept that this was a monster like even though it looked really terrible you just kind of were like okay that's a monster i get it exactly we kind of we kind of lost something with the end of that like everything's super high polished now so it's like oh envision this dragon like okay that's a dragon and i can see every scale on that dragon like you don't really get to use your imagination and be like okay how could this be a dragon (laughs) even though the polygons are terrible exactly i miss i really miss like in aliens where they oh yeah it's just it was just bags and and puppetry and really creative camera effects to give the look of yeah the, the and like alien. so that's 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 kind of come back i feel in a way like at least in i'm because i'm a big horror fan as well and i've seen a lot of resurgence for practical effects in horror which I think there is kind of an a weird appreciation for practical effects as an art form. And I don't know if that's enough to sustain like practical effects, but I do kind of appreciate that people are at least looking towards it with some appreciation like that. Yeah. Some reverence. Yeah. Well, you know, and nowadays uh, one of the huge trends of course is horror um mm-hmm. and a lot of writers are are really addressing a lot of really interesting social um topics you know matt ruff stephen graham jones quite a few people using horror as a method of of kind of breaking through and and discussing some touchier subjects yeah and uh i think that that's really cool and i think you can do that in horror movies as well um we were talking a little bit earlier um not to digress from right. talking about three axes to fall but you're actually you've kind of got a, a thought of a potential horror novel uh going on in your back of your mind right now too right yeah um an interesting thing is that yeah horror does address a lot of social issues these days because you know it's an art form and that's one of the things art is supposed to do is talk about social issues in an interesting way. 
But I also feel like horror is almost a form of therapy. Like when you can kind of, like we've all had a couple of years now to just kind of stew and be Uh upset and be stuck inside with our angry thoughts and be upset about what's going on and how helpless it is, how helpless we are to change a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Like we've all had issues with that, I think, or at least I have. I mean, I'll just I'll speak, I'll speak for myself here. Like I fucking during the lockdown, I spent a lot of time being like, oh my God, I'm so irritated. Like I'm really, I have nothing to do but be angry and think about think some thoughts that have not served me well in the long run. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I've seen this this kind of kickstarted when i watched the movie smile which is horrifying and i don't really want to talk about it because it's so fucking scary that i still have trouble thinking about it i have not seen that one yet it's 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 raw man like anyone watching right now if you're thinking of seeing smile like it's really good but boy it is it is it messed me up but it did get me thinking about horror as sort of when you when you can control the nightmare mm-hmm. and like you can direct it you can kind of give it meaning and I, I think i think the what's really hard to handle is just meaningless horror like horror without direction that's that's still valid like right. every everything is still valid i'm not pooping on anyone's beliefs or abilities or preferences i like that people can do that we have the freedom to do meaningless horror but like when when horror is pointed and there's kind of a purpose behind the suffering it feels a little therapeutic like it feels a little like if i go through this really hard thing then i will come out stronger on the other side or i will be a little braver or i'll at least be tougher like right I kind of want to explore that. Like I I want to sort of have an experience where I can, or at least tell an experience, a story where I can talk about meaningful pain, I guess. Like, right. not like pain, pain, but you know, like heartbreak and trauma and anguish. Cause like, those are all part of the human psyche now you know like a lot of people have gone through a lot of shit and i feel like a lot of shit needs to be kind of exercised Mm -hmm. at least for me like i feel like i've got some stuff to talk about and i want to do it in a very spooky lens exactly well during during covid um you know i read so i read tolkien yeah i reread tolkien i reread eddings yeah. I read Kevin Hearn and I read you. Yeah. And that's what I ended up doing to keep myself uh, kind of positive and going through the pandemic. Cause you know, other than going and walking the dog, you know, yeah. and, and coming here to the bookstore and oh, yeah. running outside and, and, and delivering books, even there, it was a little bit diminished. Um, you know, you miss people and yeah. uh, you wanted a little bit more comfort, but I always have to say that within your books, you're not afraid to go violent. You're not afraid to go over the top, which I think would serve you really well with doing horror. Um, And I have always liked that repartee between your characters, and you can do that really well in a horror novel as well. Oh, yeah. Um, So when you're writing, and especially when you wrote Three Axes to Fall, is this the fantasy novel you've always kind of wanted to write? Yeah, like, so long as we're talking about books as therapy, this book was kind of therapeutic, which is interesting to me that you call it kind of a, a comfort and positive read, because, you know, I, at the at the end of Seven Blades in Black, Sal has destroyed a town and left to sort of do more horrible stuff. But it was so satisfying at the end, too, and you go dark, but... I don't need a Xanax when I'm done with your, reading your book. Yeah. You well, know. I mean, that's that's kind of what I, I guess that's part of what I was doing with this book is just 
this idea of meaningful heartbreak and meaningful suffering. Um, Cause at the time I had been writing it, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, pr I'm pretty open about this, but like I, I, on my Instagram and on my blog, I talk about my mental health, uh, which, you know, I feel, I feel pretty comfortable talking about it just because I feel like it's still something that is difficult for a lot of people to talk about. Mm -hmm. Ironically, it's still difficult for people to talk about, even as we're in this big push to destigmatize it, because I feel like a lot of people just from seeing ads on Instagram and social media about what mental health recovery is supposed to look like, I feel like a lot of people get discouraged mm -hmm. uh, just from thinking like oh like healing is supposed to be beautiful and you're supposed to feel like a new person after and I don't what's wrong with me there's not a lot of people talking about like actually healing kind of occurs through struggle at yeah. least mentally like it it occurs through effort and trying and a lot of hard stuff like 100 percent. like and this book was kind of like that because at the at the end of Ten Arrows of Iron, which was the second book, it kind of ends on an emotional gut punch, you know, like right. there is everything has been that could go wrong, did go wrong. And it was all in the name of very petty revenge. And it didn't end up making anyone happy. Right. And then in this book, like there's more gut punches, like it's kind of like loss and struggle and enduring that sort of struggle mm -hmm. uh and coming out the other side like above all with sal like her main defining feature is that she's tough right. like like she can take a hit and her whole thing is that one if you hit her she's going to hit you back much worse uh but like i kind of really wanted a character like that who could not just be tough as in like get punched and go like ah oh, I didn't feel that but like right sort of get hit right in the emotions and like take an enormously traumatic mental blow like that and still manage to get back up and be like okay that fucking hurt that hurt like hell that might always hurt like hell but i'm still going to keep going exactly like i i feel i i do feel there is kind of and i i've already said this i'm very touchy feely about art i do feel like the protagonists we write are kind of the pro i don't think the protagonists we wish we were not always but i do feel like they speak to some part of ourselves and i think some people have and I'm one of them, like some people kind of want to see a person like this and just see what they're doing and see how they endure. Mm -hmm. And like, cause that's kind of the, that's kind of the question of all three books is like, how do you be a good and happy person when you kind of completely fuck everything up all the time? <laughs> <laughs> and no. I feel, I feel like a lot of people probably could relate to that, you know? I think so. And I think that that's one of the reasons why Sal is such a likable character throughout yeah. the entire series. I mean, we put up with Sal's antics and bullshit for 2,100 pages or so. And, and every every page is, is a delight, you know, um, because you're going through and you're growing with her. You're, you're seeing her, her from her perspective and, and her life. And she's, an incredibly interesting character to live with. Now, you and I, though, happen to both be um, big gamers as well. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, JRPGs are my bread and butter. Yeah. And RPGs in general, but oh, yeah. JRPGs. And uh, we were talking about Elden Ring a little bit yeah. um, uh, as well. Um, so in terms of that, I mean, there is a certain level of viscerality to your books right um, that i think kind of garners from maybe that um influence of that you and i both have have grown up with i think i i i feel like when i first started writing um 
there were a lot. I'm, I'm, let me start over. Uh, when I first started writing, the question everyone was asking was like, who are the influences, you know, like, and they were always talking about other authors, like, oh, was this influenced by Tolkien? Was this influenced by Eddings? And like, fantasy in general has always kind of given a massive shit about who's influencing who and like what's paying homage to what uh and i used to really resent that because it used to feel like well why are we trying to compare why are we trying to it kind of felt like trying to give people another author credit for a book they didn't write right exactly it's like that bothered me but i've kind of come to lean into it to an absurd degree to where it's like, like what if it's not just uh what if it's not just authors that influence people now? Like what anime influences people? What manga influences people? What games influence people? Exactly. And I always find it very funny because I feel like I can spot the gamers when I, the like the, the people who play video games who also write books when I read them mm-hmm. because because of that viscerality. Like we kind of, gamers interpret a lot of information through very small moments mm-hmm. that are sort of mapped out by spectacle right like right. like it's not just like to it to when you're when you're looking at someone playing a game it's like they tap a button and then the character counters an attack but mm-hmm. what you're seeing is this character like i need to keep control of this situation by doing this and by doing this this animation will happen so like video games always need to be really visceral and aggressive so that you can feel when things are going right and i do kind of put that in my books like i love i kind of love describing impacts you know i'm i'm very anti like he parried she thrust he struck like i'm very much like their blades met and a shock echoed down their bones. Exactly. Well, and, but that sort of works as a gamer too, because you know that's such a 3D experience now. You're holding that controller and you, it just feels right. You know when things, you've got everything under control when you're playing something. And like right. Elden Ring, which is so hard, right? It's such a hard game. Oh my God, but at yes. the same time, it is so satisfying when you conquer through that challenge. It's, no. I, I I totally get what you're saying. And I fucking, I completely lost my shit over Elden Ring. Yeah. Because it was, as you know, uh, it was made by From Software. From Software made tons of, uh, someone has just texted me to let me know they're alive. So that's, very, oh, that's cool. very, <laughs> um, but, uh, from software always makes these games that you kind of have to that have a large buy-in shall we say like you got to put up with a lot of frustration to feel like you know what you're doing and i found the same thing happened with the storytelling there and i got so excited for uh elden ring just because this was the first time that storytelling really clicked with me and i i like every time I would bounce off a Dark Souls story, I bounced off uh, Steven Erickson's work for the same reason. I'm like, I want to know what's going on. Like, don't just throw me in and expect me to figure it out. But this time I did. Like this time I was in Elden Ring and I was just like, this owns. Like, I have no idea what's happening. I really want to find out. I'm just going to poke around. And like, that too was therapeutic. Like, you know, obviously I've been doing a lot of therapy lately, so everything's kind of therapeutic, but uh, there was something very, obviously it's very good to feel capable, like you can put that stuff together, but like it also kind of made the story, in my opinion, feel a little more human because you weren't getting this vast sprawling story, or you were, but you were getting it in pieces and in fragments told from other people's perspectives. So mm-hmm. you were just kind, I described the game as a murder mystery where you're the detective and the victim is the entire world. Yeah. 
And I, I just, I, I ended up really feeling great about the knowledge that I had gained in that game and just the way I sort of poked through stuff to figure things out. And I decided I wanted more of that. So like that's kind of seeped its way into my writing a little bit where like I'm less eager to explain everything. And, you know, like one of my favorite things I used to, this used to drive me nuts, but now I can see why authors do it. I really, I would love, I love writing stuff like, and I'm sure you saw this in like three axes. We're like, oh yeah, we met a gigantic fucking snake coiled around a mountaintop, but that's not the most important thing. So let's move <laughs> on. And like, I love the idea of someone going like, wait, what the fuck? What's up with that snake? Exactly. But I also like the idea of them like being bothered by it and thinking like, all right, what's up with the snake? What would the snake do? Like, I think when I, I first encountered a, one of the dragon, um, uh dragon shrines that are there in elden ring oh yeah like, why is there a dead dragon right here? yeah like everything How is it's so deliberate and like that's like it's not a mistake that this enemy is here he's not just wandering around he's doing something right like, by watching him you figure out what he's doing exactly so and you do these little nods within three axes to fall which is really cool um I, but the thing is is that we've got uh, now you know because you and i both grew up in the 90s and i felt like fantasy we had xena for television yeah. we didn't have a lot of movies not until lord of the rings sort of began no. to popularize and and these um uh superhero films had started to to kind of come alive um we didn't have a lot of that so for us a lot of fantasy when we couldn't get it in media through television or movies it was through video games oh yeah and um you know so i you know and your action as well like you said really developed a more three-dimensional outtake and i thought a lot clearer I, because within fantasy when you get into fighting scenes or you get into action I think that's one of the hardest things to write and to write clearly. Mm. Um, I agree, uh, but I think it gets really exciting when you kind of open up this idea of, uh, I have uh, one of my very good friends, Wesley Chu, once told me that every fight scene should be like a conversation with fists. And I like that idea because I've been a big fan of this idea that the fighting, like the character development and the motives, they don't change when they're still fighting, you know, like they're still the same characters and they're still doing things for a reason. Uh, I like I grew up reading Drizzt books by R.A. Salvatore. Yes. And so I'm a big student for a long time. I was very excited by his combat writing because I believe he used to be a boxer and he's so technical in his little in his I don't want to call it little in his descriptions of fighting and fainting mm -hmm. and I love it to death and I still enjoy that every time I reread it but it's not what I want to do anymore like all my fight scenes I I feel like I spend I feel like I want to describe a fight scene more in impact and in like the emotional maybe not even emotional just like the physical like the sensation of swords clanging together or of taking a hit <clears throat> or of just like the weariness of having to keep fighting like i i'm a little maudlin about it like i can definitely see why like it it's very obvious to me why uh ari salvatore has as many fans as he does because like the stuff I'm talking about sounds a little exhausting to read it all the time, but it is the it is the stuff I like doing. Like I really like combat scenes that feel that you sort of measure in feelings rather than in maneuvers. Exactly. Yeah. And that's always. I mean, they always have me at the edge of my seat. Now, with your books and with 
you do write epic fantasy and so you write 700 page books yeah and you know to me it feels like um they're not 700 pages of of wasted word which is something that can be hard to do within within fantasy is it because you like big books and you cannot lie i mean is that part of yeah obviously well like I mean, one of the one of the obvious things there is that my mom is Diana Gabaldon, and I grew up watching her churn out like dictionary sized books, and like I, I I don't know for some reason that just all looked very normal to me. Like I did, I had no concept of what a book's size should be. Uh, so just the idea, I just kept thinking like, well, a book takes as long as it takes to tell the story, and. Obviously, like I had smaller books. I, it's not that I was that I believed books should only be like I, it's not that like I was unaware that there were smaller books. Yeah, it's just like I liked the idea that books could be huge and have a lot of value. And I guess I've never really grown out of that. Like, yeah, I I think I think it, like Hemingway said of Faulkner, big words don't make big feelings and i would agree with that but if you like big words and big feelings you get a 700 page book exactly and for me i've like people are like oh you wrote a big book i'm like i gave you a lot of story what are you what are you complaining about (laughs) what are you what are you mad that i gave you more story do you find that it's it's challenging to remember what you wrote in book one with what you have in book three though or no yeah not really um and I think that's just the way I think about things like I think about emotional beats but like also I do limit my scope like I feel it's kind I feel like it's almost a storytelling mistake to talk about the same conflict situation threats whatever you want to talk about like I'm a big like in a in book one in book two we don't discuss or see some protagonists or antagonists that we saw in book one i think it gets kind of tiring to sort of keep relentless track and like keep everyone up to date for what everyone is doing all the time like george r R. martin did a great job of it uh where he just had a chapter for everyone who needed to say something and his books are freaking huge too yeah, uh, but like I like the idea of not talking about like if if a character doesn't do anything that book then there's not really too much of a need to talk about them outside of just establishing that they exist so I don't really find that I end up with not knowing what happened uh, so much as like I can kind of decide what's important and what isn't and that's become both easier for me and just something I like in the book like I like that we can leave readers wondering with what's happening with these other guys that aren't being mentioned I feel like within your books like even though they're a trilogy they're accessible on their own as well yeah I could read book three without having read book two and one and not not that I have I'm I would still know that I'm missing something sure but it would be if if i were alien and from another planet and didn't know how fantasy trilogy should work yeah i would be able to pick up book three and follow along and i think that's uh, paramount to you know not your story storytelling because you you tell us what's important but you don't over explain you know we don't have 100 pages of book two yeah book three yeah, I, I'm not sure who popularized it. I want to say Mark Lawrence, but I might be misremembering. But some some author just started doing recap chapters at the start of their books. And I thought that was both very clever and also kind of felt a little a little TV-ish, just sort of like previously on. I remember that. Yeah, I and like I... Uh, X-Men x-men yeah previously yeah. On X-Men. and then it showed you a bunch of fragments of and you're like all right 
Exactly. Maybe that makes sense. Maybe I'll, I'm going to try my best to make that make sense. How many times by the season four rolled around, they showed Morph getting killed? That oh know. god, Morph! Like the first time it happened, I was like, no, and then he came back, and I'm like, uh, and then he kept disappearing. I don't know. People talk about like, oh, kids TV in the '90s. It was so mindless. No, it wasn't. Like no. X Men was fucking complex. You needed a goddamn dictionary to keep up. It was it was it was like basically it was a soap opera oh yeah no it 100%. was 100 percent a soap opera. It, it was a soap opera with superpowers and like exactly. honestly they were on to stuff like they they should have kept going with that like they should have leaned hard into it and we almost got that with like superhero movies for like mm -hmm. they started getting a little deep but then it's like no we don't have time for that much depth Zack Snyder, the Snyder cut I just watched of Justice League. Oh my god! And because uh, I finally got HBO Max because they had a sale for like a dollar ninety nine for three. Months. Yeah, I'd be an idiot to pass this up, and I've been wanting to watch it, so I did. And I've got to say, it was it was really good, but it is a little soap opera-ish. Yeah, and like that's always that's kind of the caveat to what I'm talking about because obviously I'm very pro feelings. I want tons of feelings in all of my books but the caveat there is that and you can see this in marvel movies people will take a lot more jokes than they will take drama like everyone loves drama and we kind we kind of need it in our literary diets so to speak yeah. but we also uh need levity we do and people people will accept way more quips and jokes like they'll be they'll sit through a whole movie of quips and jokes and like at the end they might come out being like well that i wish that had been deeper but you know that's at least fun but you know people can only take a couple of tragic things so like you you do have to i i really hate thinking of it this way because i hate the idea of balancing anything because it's just such a cliched word it's like oh you got to make sure it's all balanced well yes okay that's specific but like you do that's why i like including a lot of jokes like it makes it makes because i put, tell a lot of jokes in my books because i want to also tell a lot of heartbreak well and then reading through your twitter which is always super entertaining sam i i get your sense of humor yeah i enjoy it um you know you're somebody who likes to make people laugh you know you're somebody who likes to bring some joy to other people's lives as well i think yeah i i enjoy i enjoy it like obviously i'm not gonna say no i fucking despise making people laugh i it is interesting though because there's a very there's a big difference between wanting to make people laugh and needing to make people laugh and you know sorry i'm going back to the to, to the well here but like i have been doing a lot of therapy and i've so i've come to realize that when you're needing people to make people laugh it's coming from a weirdly insecure place mm -hmm. and so it doesn't hit well and i think that's actually that actually comes through in a lot of writing in media today is that there is kind of a need to make people laugh like we like and i think it's almost in response to so much heartbreak in the real world is just people saying like oh like there's so much misery we don't need more misery like i need to make people laugh with this i need to take their minds off it which I think any one of us could see ourselves trying that like you want to feel like you can impact it but when you need to make people laugh it's usually because there's something more serious that you really need to talk about exactly and I've, I've kind of leaned into that with writing well and fantasy gets a bad rap I think fantasy as a genre people say well it's just escapist reading reading yeah a lot right from the from the haters haters gonna hate the haters <laughs> are you out there haters we're we're not tolerating this exactly Fantasy will not be bullied by you <laughs> but but you do hear that sometimes you get the you know 
from from people who don't understand fantasy and i think that it's a great way to explore human condition and to yeah. explore you know i think i think it's really a cool uh opportunity to really dig in deep and I, in terms I, of character in terms of subject matter sure what have you i agree um like obviously i think highly of my own genre uh but i also believe that there is no such thing as real escapism like right you you can take your mind off stuff and that's fine and there's some media out there that really does try to take your mind off stuff but i also think that's kind of impossible because i think when we're when we feel like we've truly escaped something like be that whatever we're running from mentally or emotionally when we feel like we've escaped i feel like we feel the thing is no longer threatening to us mm-hmm. and when we're just watching media that's just like oh happy quip and oh delight then we're kind of denying ourselves that essential heartbreak mm-hmm. and it feels wrong almost yeah. and so like and i think that's what makes escapism escapism can become kind of like a drug like I just need to be distracted but if if your art is just distracting you and not helping you work through stuff then you're not really escaping and like I can see why people say that about fantasy because like let's let's be totally honest right now like nerds nerd media dominates everything like there's like let's just not even talking about uh superhero movies there's just way more fantasy way more budget in fantasy and all this exciting stuff i'm not saying there's not good television that isn't nerd related obviously but like nerds are eaten well for a while right and uh i feel like we have kind of seen people realize the true strength of this and that is not like what do people like what is like we don't do studies of settings anymore we do studies of characters in settings and if you want to if you want like the big dog of all of this it's walking dead like the point of walk like walking dead i remember it came out and it went on for like three seasons and people suddenly started talking about like well, we're, what, there's no more zombies. Why isn't this a zombie show anymore? And it's always struck me that the point of Walking Dead and the popularity was not the zombies. It's what do people act like when they are put in this situation? Exactly. Which, I don't know if you watched The Boys. Yeah. Uh, I, f- I freaking love The Boys. Oh, yeah. The and boys The Boys is, is very much that. Like, what do people do when they are in superpowers? When they have superpowers? What do people do when they're in this setting? And that's, like, that's the real joy of fantasy, in my opinion, is... Uh, and, like, you have stuff like Star Trek, where it's, like, what do people do when all their needs are met? And there is this utopian idea. Right. And, like... In my books, it's like, what do people do when they've made a really fucking bad decision <laughs> and <laughs> now it's coming to catch up with them? That's 100%. And aside for the boys, for people who haven't seen the boys, I think that it is really a great show in terms of a study of character because, boy, we would think that um, having superpowers, we would we would be the best of ourselves, right? Yes. Really, no, they're just as insane. Yes. And they've that, got- that was that was the whole thrust of the of the show that so I was a big fan of the comics, but I really loved the idea. What if what if humans got what if people got superpowers instead right. of good people? And like I think that's that's kind of one of the greatest parts about fantasy right now is like what if a person was in this situation instead of a good person? Like, because fantasy used to be very like, oh, brave knight destroys evil wizard, stops dragon, does good, is good, all that sort of shit. Yeah. And like, that's fine. And there's still people who really want that idealized format. And I'm sure they always will. There's always going to be a desire for stories where people are just at their best 
And that's where it can start to feel like escapism a little because right. when it's just people and it's just people handling things, then you kind of get to enjoy believing that you could handle it too. Yeah. Like, you know, in Game of Thrones, it kind of, everyone's talking about the show, mind you, I'm not talking about the books. Uh, in the show, when Game of Thrones started going a little off the rails and people started complaining a little more, I kept thinking like, it's like, well, yeah, but you kind of asked it to be that way. Like you kept saying, I want these characters to become more powerful and level up and get stronger and start leading stuff. It's like, okay, but now they're not quite the same people they that you fell in love with. And so they're, they're, it's, it's harder to see yourself in them. Mm -hmm. And like, that's something you got to consider because nerds, and I'm sorry, nerds, I count myself amongst you, but there's a big urge to sort of see things get leveled up. And like, because that feels like working through something like obvious, exactly. like that's why, that's why RPGs are very satisfying emotionally because it's like, oh, yeah, I have a problem. I will gain a level and gain the staff of flame. And now I don't have a problem anymore. We can do that. We can actually, you can actually do that with books. Like I have a problem. I read a book. I don't have that problem anymore. It's just the book kind of has to be about dealing with shit rather than growing out of it. Exactly. In I, my, do you, know how, do you know how annoying it would be if you're reading though, and you saw like stat increases? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Like just, oh, this, we well, you know what? I'm, I'm actually going to give a shout out. There is such a, I'm sorry. My dog is here. He really wanted to be a part of this. Oh, absolutely. You got it. Hey, Bosley. Hey, Bosley. How but you doing? Like, I had a, I had, I want to give a shout out. There is a genre called lit RPG where it is just, as far as I know, I haven't read widely um, about it, but it's it is like Bosley. Come on, it is like an RPG written in novel format, and a lot of people seem to really like it. And I am above all else. I'm I'm interested when people like stuff. I'm not critical. So, so I, there is probably some. There are probably someone like furiously typing a comment right now like how dare you i love seeing stats go up <laughs> we we wish you peace whoever you are <laughs> robin stole had an interesting question for you uh here okay. online and she wanted to know what your early gaming influences are were that have influenced Ooh. your writing and then i from i'm going to add a, a question to that and what would be three games that you would recommend people play to get a good um either either that have influenced you as a writer or you think uh are just uh maybe a uh an example of good writing Ooh, okay or storytelling i think i can cover all of this one of my earliest gaming influences uh the earliest i can remember was legend of zelda link to the past because it was the first time I my brain kind of caught up to that point where I could be like, oh, games had a story, have a story. Like before that, I'm not like games have always had stories, but like in the NES days, like the story was like, you are man, man is moving right. Some people don't want man to go right. And it's like, okay, yeah, that's a that's a conflict at least. But then when I played Link to the Past, my first Zelda game, like I could actually like follow along and be like, oh, I need to go here because of this. But the first time it just, and but even then it was still primitive because I was, I was very young and I was very impatient. So I would skip a lot of the dialogue and then be very upset that I didn't understand what was going on. But then I remember uh, in the late nineties, I did so many chores and so many odd jobs to save up for a PlayStation. And then with that PlayStation, I bought Final Fantasy VII. And that was the first time I truly just really connected with a story. Like, to the point where like, I wasn't just following along, I was in it. I was, I had opinions, I had feelings. Like, and everyone is gonna tell you, like everyone has, like, oh yeah, I played that game and I got really sad when Aris died. Yes, me too. 
but like i was sad throughout the whole thing like i was sad at all the pain these guys had to go through and i was like i'm i was like i've never had this thing where like that's when i really became in love with games because i'm like i've never had this feeling like this these are stuff like this is going to get a little complex but like there weren't a lot of books and aimed towards young boys that dealt a lot with feelings we had we had a lot of books and like i'm sure someone's gonna get upset like oh no what about this and this and this i'm like all right well i didn't read those but like i'm talking about in fantasy which is where i read widely uh most of the books were about like that prospect like i have a problem i have a i got a magic mask and now i don't have that problem they got deeper like they did get deeper but never like so deep as to say like it's okay for you to have feelings like the end goal of those books always felt like you solved the problem and now you don't feel things anymore and like final fantasy 7 was like one of the early games where it felt like it's okay it's not only okay to not have things figured out but nobody actually does and like even saving the world doesn't figure out everything and like because i was going like you know i was a kid i had hormones going crazy i had life problems and it felt good to watch something that was like you can still like you don't have to be good you don't have to be perfect you just have to be willing to try Mm-hmm. and i love that so like three and like i feel like i've tried i've been trying to capture that ever since just that idea of like it doesn't matter how ugly it is or how bad it looks if you're just gonna try it doesn't have to look pretty you can just struggle through it right like and you know it's no fucking coincidence that all my books feature the feature there at least one scene of the protagonist just like can't fucking go on and they just collapse and they're like i don't want to anymore <laughs> that's very that's very true to life and especially my life and i think a lot of people's lives especially now but uh so i would definitely recommend as one of those games final fantasy 7 just because it really was an experience like it changed everything for me and i think for a lot of people i really would have to i'm gonna avoid giving another shout out to elden ring because we already have i will say the new god of war games from 2018 and just recently 2020 ragnarok incredible just stunning showings of character and motivation and how sometimes it's just what people want that makes them do bad things and not that they're bad it 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 owned it was so good both of those games but the one i've got to say that i think would give the biggest i the i think hmm this is tough because i'm trying to think of the game i would recommend if i wanted people to like my books and I've already described Grave of Empires as a love letter to Final Fantasy, and that's true. But like, I feel to appreciate the Grave of Empires, ah, shit, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to say, I think I would recommend Elden Ring because okay. it's a story about Elden Ring above all else is a story about how if you simply refuse to give up, you can not you can not only make things better but also your way of making things better frequently looks like it's making things much worse <laughs> which is all about sal the pro, sal the cacophony i was about to say sal the protagonist but <laughs> which is also true but yes yeah, sal is a protagonist who makes it worse and that's part of that's something i love about her Sometimes you wonder uh, what you're doing in Elden Ring and whether or not it's the morally right thing or not, right? Or even if it's and effective. Exactly. And and like, you die so many times in, in Elden Ring and it's just getting back up and getting on. The yeah. And like trying it in a different way. And yeah, like I, I really enjoy that because it's just like. It's very straightforward. It's like you die and you try again. There is 
no way forward that does not involve you doing that like exactly you can't think your way out of this you just kind of have to hit, let it hit you enough times that you know how to deal with it exactly and i that's i think that's something i wish i had more of in my life i sometimes i wish that i was when i was younger that we had something like elden ring maybe it was mega man mega man was probably our our version of elden ring yeah i mean mega man was difficult because like games used to have game overs where you just had to start the whole thing from the beginning and like that was discouraging that did not teach stick to itiveness but <laughs> uh elden ring oh, i've never finished a mega man game except for x x i i have yeah like mega man games were always just games that you played and looked beautiful and then you tried your hardest and frequently you didn't get anywhere <laughs> so um sometime probably within the next week or so you're actually going to be popping by to sign books here at the store yes um, so the nice thing is for the holidays for those of you who would like a beautifully personalized copy of three axes to fall and i'm going to hold this up here what a gorgeous can, you can still order it from the poison pen um and uh, still have time to get it personalized because sam's got a lot of personal uh, exciting okay. things going on right now so yeah. um which is pretty awesome so he'll be coming by the store here in phoenix too or in scottsdale to sign books right uh, gives you time to get your book personalized yeah just anyone who wants a book, let the poison pen know they're on they're on that internet. That crazy internet. Um, that crazy internet we all love so well. Poisonpen.com. Of course, you can also find us on Facebook and, and Twitter, but we're more exciting as a store. Uh, although Facebook, I mean, we're and and YouTube and the store and, is really good. We are. We are. And um that's why I've been with uh the store for 20 years, Sam. I, i've been there for much of it yeah you have I've been you. i've seen you a, a couple times you know yeah we've gone like this maybe uh oh there you are sam there um, you are. <laughs> nothing you know nothing that would make you feel uncomfortable in front of a right. crowd um so sam for those of you who are interested or for those who are interested in following you where can they find you uh, I'm on Twitter at Sam Sykes swears and I'm at samsykes.com. Uh, I don't know when people are listening to this, but at the time it is 2022 December. Uh, Elon Musk owns Twitter and he's just, he's making decisions. Uh, so <laughs> that's the best way to just so, so like social media is kind of in an upheaval right now for a lot of people, I think. So hopefully when you're listening to this, everything still exists exactly uh, uh, i can be found in those places and in perpetuity now in the future we can't we can't tell you where you'll be right. no like exactly let's not plan too far ahead let's not let's not do that right um, sam in terms of uh new projects we're really looking forward to seeing new projects coming out is there anything that you can is there anything exciting that's going on right now or are you just uh i next? am i am working on something new uh stories are here's another thing i learned in therapy stories are something i really want to do and like as long as people still keep reading i'm just gonna keep writing and i think i've, I've my next project is going to be a horror comedy something i feel like i've wanted to write for a while maybe a, a little breather from grave of empires i do want to write more grave of empires so you know, we we got a good recommendation here um martha su suggested maybe uh sal's prequel written from another person's perspective Ooh, that could be fun because everyone feels a lot of ways about sal <laughs> um we also had a a, a couple neat um comments here in the field sam before we go sure uh, martha says that her grandson's been tutoring her about fantasy and gaming between sam and his writer mom and my grandson my life has been taking a very interesting turn well great she really appreciates it i'm happy i'm happy to hear that like yeah. everyone's like I, I i talk trash about fantasy a lot because 
I love it so much, but I do love it. And I think it is a really cool thing for people to have in their lives, just as an interest. I'm going to do a shout out to the, the, the grandmother who plays, um, uh, and streams live, uh, Skyrim, Skyrim. If you oh, ever want a really pleasant, like hour, just watch her playing Skyrim. It's the best I'm, therapy you'll ever need. I'm almost reluctant to ask, is she still with us? I don't know. I, I I'd be so. afraid to look like I, I thought I read something about that. Maybe not being the case. I don't want to speak. Like, I don't want any, I don't, I specifically don't want to bring up anything super sensitive. So exactly. I hope, I hope I didn't just poop all over everyone's good time. I know, exactly. Someone I don't watching know. this I and like, wait, is she? Uh, so we'll see, but she, it was very pleasant to watch her. So yeah. anyway, <laughs> on that note, Sam, thank you for everything. Um, you've been with us since your very fir first book and, uh, it's not going to be the last so um you know thank you very much for everything that you do for us and for your audience and again everybody even if you don't buy from the poison pen please pick up a copy of three axes to fall great book and just so much fun wherever you get your books that's the best place to get it and um we from the poison pen just want to wish everybody including sam a happy holidays happy and, holidays uh, to everyone Thank you, everybody, and we'll see you uh, next time. See you later, guys. Hello. We hope you're enjoying our programs and podcasts with authors. We'd like to expand them, and your help would be appreciated. Please make a donation at poisonedpenfoundation.org. 100% of the proceeds will go to help connect authors with readers in this difficult time. Thank you.